I'm Dash, father of two adopted daughters and two biological sons between the ages of two and 13. And I'm Swy. I'm a year and a half into parenting and it's way harder than I ever thought it would be. And you are now listening to the sounds of Imperfect Dads, a parenting podcast. We're stuck in this little corner of the internet to create a community that has empathy for and camaraderie with other imperfect parents. A place where we can learn from other parents how to be better parents. And where we can occasionally figure out how to be cooler parents. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. And thanks to those of you who have given us good reviews, especially our biggest fans, our mothers. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, which are great platforms to argue with strangers about how interesting or not interesting our dad's tractions are. Thanks for listening to episode four, where we will get to talk to our friend, Andy Lambert, head coach of Southern Nazarene University, an NCAA Division II school located just outside of Oklahoma City, about his experiences helping raising hundreds of men and four daughters of his own. Now let's make like uh, salt and pepper and push it, push it real good. Push it, push it, push it. Hey man, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing pretty well myself. I believe that springtime has come. It has. We have finally cracked the freezing barrier here in Chicago. Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody had to kidnap the groundhog or how exactly it worked out, but I've kind of decided that dude's full of malarkey, and uh, <laughs> we'd be better off with another weather-controlling, prognosticating animal. Listen, Groundhog Day is my favorite of all holidays, and only because it is the day before my birthday. So if I lived my life in a perpetual Groundhog Day movie-type situation, I would never... Uh, I would never exhaust the amount of pre-birthday energy going on in my life. Yeah, but then you'd never get to release your your birthday energy. It's okay, man. Delayed gratification. <laughs> <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, how have you been in touch with your imperfections as a parent? Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like I've done a pretty decent job of parenting when I'm focused on parenting but maybe this is just me and maybe it's just like people in general but I have a hard time doing two things at once so uh, the past weekend we had some company over and sometimes I forget that I have to take care of a child and also entertain the guest at the same time and so I focused predominantly on entertaining the guest and you know diving into deep conversation and I just kind of became oblivious to my child and that elicited some scorn from my, uh, my significant other here. And, uh, I recognize fully that I just need to do better at that so that the burden of parenting doesn't completely fall off of my shoulders when, uh, you know, when we have company. How was, as you said, I quote, the scorn communicated to you? <laughs> uh, well, I didn't always know it was scorn because it's just glances out of, you know, like a side eye kind of glance. Uh, but I don't always know how to interpret those. Sometimes it's more of a, uh, you know, that I'm supposed to do something or, you know, it's, this is, this is a classic example because, uh, this happens to me all the time. I'll say something that I shouldn't have said. And my wife will like, pinch me under the table and mm. then instead of just knowing what that pinch is for i say ow why did you pinch me and then it like brings it into the rest of the conversation and it's really terrible i wish that i had like the awareness to recognize that you know when she kicks me in the shin or whatever that i need to be quiet instead of <laughs> acknowledging out loud that she kicked me in the shin it's it does my, sound like you bad. have some work to do in the department of picking up and responding to nonverbal cues. Dude, I am often the worst at that. And I have, you mentioned, I have noticed sometimes you do say regrettable things. That's true. This is and certainly a segment that might be regrettable. I was going to say, unlike podcasting, those things usually can't be edited out of regular conversations. <laughs> you know, if you want to air this segment, just uh, like, 
you can uh, redact this part by, you know, placing an allowed beeping noise over this whole time I'm talking. We'll see. Or maybe we'll make it a deleted scene that our <laughs> listeners can purchase at a later date. <laughs> yeah, a deep cut. We'll see how it goes. And Yeah, what about you, man? How have your imperfections been brought to the surface? I realized very recently that I completely lost the battle against winter this year. Um, for those of us in the Midwest, it was an incredibly cold winter. As you know, in Chicago, we had these Arctic plunges that came from the Great White North and froze the entirety of the Midwest. We had a lot of snow. Kids were out of school more than usual. My kids were ill quite a bit. And I used to question why people got sick in the winter because it seems like the cold should freeze kill all the germs, right? You would think. But then I realized what happens is we just get like stuck in the house with each other. And so occasionally all those germs build up and we're just breathing in and, and swimming in our own viral and Germanic filth. So that struck our house. Couldn't keep the baby healthy. Um, didn't really enjoy all of the cold weather, especially because since I grew up in the temperate West Coast, I'm a bit of a delicate flower when it comes to extreme temperatures. And, and in uh, many other areas. And in many other areas. <laughs> so I'm glad to see this winter go. The other place that I lost the, the battle this year was in the battle to make my kids wear coats when it's cold outside. Mm. Um, you can look forward to this because there will be a time where you can't just like wrangle a coat onto your kid. It's actually partially their choice whether or not they wear it. Mm. And middle schoolers and grade schoolers don't like to wear coats. So we tried a lot of different things and eventually I just decided unless it wasn't going to be injurious to them to be outside, they could go outside without a coat on and they would get the opportunity to live with the consequences of that decision. Yeah, you know, that's one thing that I've appreciated about living in Chicago is that there's no pretension when it gets cold. You know, we have these, well, this year we had a day that was like minus 40 and minus 60 wind chill and stuff. And there's no, like, there's no pressure to be cool and pretend like you're not cold. So you get everybody walking around, everybody that has to go outside is wearing like these ankle length quilt coats that are just like basically impervious to any sort of uh, wind or cold entering their uh, proximity. And so like it's there, there's no pressure to be cool. And I remember that when I was in elementary school, you know, like the edge of your kids, it was like, I'm pretty tough. I just, you know, just, I'll just wear a hoodie or something. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's adulthood. Maybe it's the uh, polar vortex, but uh, yeah, there's, there's no pretension here. That's good. I know the whole negotiation with my kids and coats, there was a sense where I felt like I had failed myself and other parents by seeding so much ground. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, as I kind of look back on it, maybe it wasn't something that was worth like planting my flag in the ground and having an argument about every morning with my kids. I guess time will tell, but to comfort myself in having lost most of the battles with coats this winter, I'll just tell myself mm. that it's better for our relationship. <laughs> yeah. You got to hold on to those, uh, got to hold on to those relationships with your kids, man. You can't alienate them this young. If anybody out there has an example of imperfect parenting, you'd like to share, feel free to email us at imperfectdads at gmail.com or hashtag imperfect dads on Twitter. <laughs> I wanted to give you an update. And what, pray tell, was that? Uh, the horse? Yes, what in the world? Well, I thought you didn't like the air horn, so I went with a different one this time. Uh, okay, so it's slightly less piercing, which I suppose is a baby step in the right direction. <laughs> I just wanted to draw the listener's attention to this very exciting announcement about the Seahorse Society. Oh gosh, we're still doing that? Listen, would you feel the same way if I was this dismissive of your 90s hip-hop references? I don't think you understand my 90s hip-hop references until I tell you what they mean. But point is taken and you may proceed.
That's probably true, but I feel that we have a similar situation with the Seahorse Society. Listen, I just wanted to let everyone know that we are going to be releasing some bonus content starting this week for the Seahorse Society. We're going to continue shouting out to parents and adults doing cool things and unique things with kids and hopefully getting a few minutes of their time to have them share a little bit about their story with us. So look for this bonus content on our off weeks where we don't release a full episode. And send us your nominations for the Seahorse Society as well if you know someone who's doing something really creative with their kids. Our marketing department let us down. They were not able to secure a sponsor for this episode. Time to put that job description out on Craigslist again, I guess. But supporting our amazing sponsors isn't the only way to support our program. That's right. In fact, it isn't even the best way. You see, the thing about breaking into podcasting is that it's a lot like Mean Girls. Uh, what? Obviously. The internet gatekeepers are the plastics, Facebook is Gretchen, Google is Karen Smith, and Apple is so Regina George. Who's Glenn Coco? Who the heck knows, but Twitter is definitely Janice Ian. And new podcasts are Katie Heron. Best believe, which means... When they look at us new podcasts, they're all like, you can't sit with us. And while difficult, it is possible for us new kids to get a seat at the cool table eventually. We just have to convince the plastics that we're gruel. Gruel? I meant to say great, and then started to say cool. <laughs> and that's where you, our listeners, come in. Every time you share something from our social media feeds or share specific episodes, the mean girls think we are cooler. The more people download our content or give us ratings on iTunes, we get an even bigger bump. And that's how we get to sit at the cool kids table, just as was foretold in the scripture. So help us out, wear pink on Wednesdays, and stop trying to make fetch happen. Now get in, loser. We're going shopping. We love parenting. We love our kids, but we also have some other interests outside of parenting that we like to share with each other and with our listeners as well. And caveat up front, Swy, my dad distraction this week, the first part of it is going to be a big no-duh, but please don't make fun of me out loud, just in your head. I'll write it in the show notes if I have any comments to say. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, my One of my big dad distractions, which was a revelation of late, is that there's a lot of cool free stuff at the public library these days. Yes. Was, was that the obvious part? Yeah, that was the obvious part. Well, because so for me, I used to, when I was a kid, be a really great patron of the public library. And even when we were first married and then I've somehow fallen away from it over the last few years, I think I've gotten busy. And when you kind of like grow professionally you start falling into this trap, especially with Amazon prime of just like buying mm, things yeah. instead of trying to figure out like how to get them cheaper or even for free. For sure. The library is only a block from my house and I uh, have been in there more recently and I started to realize like, man, there are a lot of magazines that instead of subscribing to, I could just like come to the library and flip through in a few minutes every week there are a lot of good books here, and even at my rural library, I found out there is a state library of Kansas that with my local library card, I can get electronic books as well as audiobooks, which is a huge game changer for me. Yeah. So I've been making use of all of these things, enjoying checking some stuff out that I wouldn't otherwise buy, but also uh, saving quite a bit of money by not making spontaneous purchases and bumping around on, on Amazon on a regular basis. For sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty great way to uh, get out of the house, too. Uh, I, I try to show up at my uh, library. My local library has like a little toddler infant reading hour once a week and i always show up there with all the other moms and nannies in the neighborhood i can't believe they that infants in chicago know how to read i know but don't bump. <laughs> i don't know i don't know what to tell you man our school system is you know really high end up here yeah i've read about that places 
What has been dad distracting you over the last couple of weeks? Listen, man, I had a great vacation a week ago and don't tell my grandmother this, uh, but I went to Las Vegas with a couple of friends, just had like a little uh, mini grad school reunion with a couple buds and went and uh, explored the city. Um, And I know that it's probably tempting to like stay in the casino bubble and just like never really go outside, you know, like you could just basically wander from casino to casino there on the strip. But my favorite part of the entire week was we rented scooters, like little Vespa scooters, like miniature motorcycles. That does sound fun. And yeah, it was, it was great weather. You know, it's like 70 degrees, uh, sunny, cool wind in your hair. Uh, for those of you that have hair, um, yeah, it was it was just an incredible way to spend an afternoon. We rode around for like three hours and rode up and down the strip and saw all the you know all the fancy signs and the cool buildings and then we rode out to like Old Vegas, which is kind of on the other side of the city, and uh, saw all these you know casinos and buildings that looked like they were the set for The Godfather and you know like eighties mob movies. Uh, so it was, it was, it was just a really cool experience, man. And I tell you, I've got a real itch now that I have to like, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at scooters, man. I'm shopping for scooters to buy so that if I ever end up getting a job and not being the stay at home parent, I can commute to work on a scooter, at least when it's not 40 degrees below zero. I would like a scooter and or a street legal golf cart. I would take either of those options for work commutes. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, it was so much fun. Just when cut, you did cut you loose and going twenty five miles an hour? Did you ever ride down the strip at night and pretend like you were making a trench run through the Death Star with all the lasers <laughs> going past you? Yeah, uh, we definitely did not do that. Eh, Sorry. Well. I guess now you have a achievable goal for your next trip to Las Vegas. Yeah. One last question. Um, Is your grandmother of the belief that playing cards make babies? (laughs) The only games we were able to play at my grandmother's house were authors and old maid. Um, Not too bad. If you ever played authors, it's basically like go fish, but the deck of card is like each different uh, you, you have to collect categories of four similar authors, so or the four books that a certain author wrote. So, uh, yeah, good good stuff. Highly educational. But if there's ever a, a million dollar World Series of Uno championship, <laughs> I am going to enter my second grader because she is a straight up Uno hustler, <laughs> and is largely undefeated when she plays new people. So if Vegas ever starts that up, um, give us a call. We'll feel free to come out and school some people. Yeah, I didn't see any UNO tables, but uh, I'm not even sure how you would bet that other than just like winner take all. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, cutthroat. Andy Lambert is the head football coach at Southern Nazarene University, a Division II school right outside of Oklahoma City. He's the five-time conference coach of the year and has had a great career record of 102 and 96, which is impressive enough in its own right, but even more so considering in all three of his career stops, he's taken over struggling teams and rebuilt them into perennial powerhouses. He's coached and mentored literally thousands of young men and has raised four daughters all the way to adulthood. So he has a lot of wisdom to share, and I'm excited he was willing to join us for a few minutes. Hey, Coach. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, fantastic. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, have you been looking forward to it since that one time you disciplined me for cursing too loudly in the student union was 15 that, years ago? Was that... Uh, what about the time when you and uh, Seth about got in a fight? Your brother, you remember that? Uh, which was, time are you talking about? Uh, yeah, ex- more specific <laughs> on that. Yeah, I don't know. I think you were running after him down the street over at the high school or something. We were practicing in the spring, 
but uh, I'm sure you were. I don't remember ever disciplining you, Ben. What, what was the word you said? Good. Uh, I think we were playing Madden on mm-hmm. a computer, and uh, one of the RAs heard me uh, use a little bit too much profanity and salty. Yeah, it was. You know, it was adult content. <laughs> so you, have you gotten in into in this public. whole uh, um, Fortnite kind of thing? Are you uh, still a gamer? <laughs> Uh, I I mean I'm still a little bit of a gamer, but my my windows to play uninterrupted are are very very brief now. Gotcha. I'll bet you're still pretty good. Yeah, I can I can still hold my own as long as I'm uh, playing kids half my age. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! So hey, it's great to have you here, and uh, we've we've been really excited to uh, be able to schedule this, and you know honestly, we just wanted to. Uh, Talk about the lessons you've learned in your long career working with young adults and teenagers and then obviously raising your own children as well. Um, but first, I want to I start with coaching. Uh, why and, and how did you get into the coaching game? Hmm. Well, I, you know, I always loved football, of course, and then played in college. And I, uh, when I graduated from college, I, I got a job in like April before I graduated. So I was teaching, I I got a job at an elementary school in the Chicago suburbs. And it was probably, let's say 15, 20 minutes from the, the, you know, the institution that I I had gone to. And so I just asked the coach if I could kind of help out um, that fall. And so I did, and there was some coaching changes and this and that. And so I had a, a bigger role probably than uh, anyone would have expected at the time. And, and so just from then on, it just kind of worked out that that's what I, I did after school. And and then I ended up getting the head job there when he left. And so the rest, as they say, has been history. But it was just kind of the right place at the right time with the right people. And uh, just just worked out that way. A lot of people get into coaching because, duh, they want to coach. <laughs> At the collegiate level, though, so much time has to be spent on recruiting. What does your recruiting style look like? Mm. Man, I don't know. I've never had much style. So, you know, I think that we have over the years wanted to go out and communicate of course, the kind of institution that we were, the the kind of academics that we wanted to have. And we use a term now, I think we stole the term from uh, the guy who's at the University of Washington now, and he was at Boise State. But the term is our kind of guys. And so just trying to get a, a message out about who we really want to have in our program and then really letting the chips fall then where they fall, you know, making offers and just trusting that the process of, of kind of what we're trying to do in our filtering will uh, create a, um, you know, a recruiting class that is going to fit what we do, you know, schematically fit what we want to have personality wise and, and culture, but also fit the institution. So um, I, I guess, you know, I don't know what kind of style that would be where, relatively low pressure. Uh, We want to talk to as many families as we can and get as many families on campus as we possibly can and just get our message out. And then the the ones who are interested, hey, come do this and and let's uh, try to create some great stuff. What advice do you have for families as they are in the recruiting process with their kids? Yeah, I think families, there's a lot of confusion about timing. I think that might be one thing that that I would advise parents to get a good bead on when your sport in high school is going to be recruited by you know Division One schools, and then what is how does that impact uh, what they call in football FBS, uh, and then Division Two and Division Three. There's the whole NAIA kind of process, and so. We just find that uh, some of our families are confused about, oh, well, Division One. we're waiting around for a Division One scholarship, and it's, you know, January 30th of their senior year, 
and that's just not you know typically going to happen. And so I think that's the first thing one uh, to try to just educate them on timing and and find out what the timing would be. And, and two would just be uh, finding what all the options are. And and of course, if you're going to have multiple Division One offers and and they're going to pay for your school, then you know that's a different process than okay, well, I may have a walk-on at TCU, I may have multiple Division II offers, and and so then, um, you know, just trying to work through the options that I may have. I mean, we've recruited at a Division II school here, and, you know, there are times at a Division III school in Texas or whatever with great facilities, and they maybe could beat us on a financial package. And so I think just... Uh, telling the families to sort of just be patient and check out all their options. I mean, and and they probably hear that a lot. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages of, uh, you know, obviously everyone wants to go division one, but uh, maybe what are some of the advantages of, uh, of playing at a lower level? Well, I think some, some of that might depend on the money, of course. So, um, you know, if you play division one football, you are going to have everything paid for. There's not going to be expenses, you know, in 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 a certain context at least. And so, you know, I think that's the there's a Division One experience that you really can't have unless you play Division One, and, and that's in most sports at least. Uh, and so, the the smaller, uh, the lower levels, I think there becomes more of a okay. Do I really like the sport? You know, do I? Um, you know, I, I, we watch the 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 women's and men's basketball teams tonight at our school and you know the girls play with such heart and in such drive and they it was maybe their biggest win since they had gone to division two and you know I was in the gym a couple days ago and there were four or five of them in there at eight o'clock in the morning you know working out and practicing and just putting in extra work and so you know I think the lower levels uh, can sometimes have uh, create more of we love the game and we love the sport and we love to compete um, because there in in some cases obviously there's just not so much financial reward you know man you get a a full ride to the University of Texas or you know Kansas State or, or you know whatever I, th- I think there's some there can be financial pressure there to stay and and kind of grind through it even if you may not like it but for many of the levels, it, man, it's just not like that. They, the the athletes have to really love what they're doing and love their teammates. And uh, not that they don't at Division One, but certainly, um, I think that's part of the deal at at the lower levels. I know in the schools that I've been, the schools have been small, and so the education, you know, that whole academic process, I think, is different when you are really a. Mm, you know, a true student and a person in your academic pursuits and, and maybe not so much of a, of a number or, you know, just caught in, in hundreds and hundreds of, of freshmen or sophomore who, sophomores who may be at the school. So one of the things that I remember talking about so much is kind of this phrase more than football. Mm. And it sounds like it plays in a lot, especially at these younger, or, uh, at these smaller schools. Um, what can you tell us about uh, character development in these young men and how that plays into success uh, right. in the games? Well, I think, you know, character development, I think um, I would be, you know, probably wrong if I said, well, we we know how to develop character and we know the character that we're developing and, and that kind of thing. I, I think for us it's been throwing out options and, throwing out opportunities. Um, I think the longer that I'm at it, the more it really becomes about uh, these young men in our program. It, it becomes about their choices and about their true freedom to to choose. And so, of course, there are uh, parameters to be on a team and there are certain criteria that, that, that we need to be uh, hopefully meeting and, and finding. But at the end, and, and you guys know this as well as I do, you know, it really becomes down to, it comes down to individuals who are deciding to grow, uh, deciding to consider, 
you know, humility or to consider uh, selflessness at a deeper level. And, and so as we present those kind of principles, you know, uh, we're just hoping that, that guys would consider that and that they would change through the process. The, the one thing in football and I, I guess any sport in intercollegiate athletics particularly is there's such a crucible of competition and urgency and you know the phys- kind of the shared physical dynamic and and so there can be uh ways to maybe help uh present uh, an idea or a, a principle or a, a character trait but gosh there's just no way to <laughs> to guarantee that or to enforce it or you know, to even really know what happens in the life of a of a young guy as he as he comes through our program. So we're just trying to create opportunities and create uh, just different sorts of engagements with with coaches and with each other on the team to to help guys decide on their own to you know become different people or to try to grow uh, in a in a positive kind of way. You have been at three different colleges. Each time you took a position at those colleges, the football team had not been terribly successful before you came. And definitely at your first two stops, you were able to to lead those teams to really high levels of success. And now you're a couple years into your um, next stop and there's been marked improvement. What makes you a coach who instead of trying to set himself up to get to a juggernaut keeps setting up programs and then going to essentially start over again? Well, I I ask myself that a lot. (laughs) I have no idea why would I want to take those programs on. I I think obviously the first was a no-brainer. It was my first college job. I'd played there. I'd been an assistant coach. It was a natural transition the the transition then to the second school had a lot to do with my family and so we that was a, a kind of a, a big picture family decision to to go back closer to to where I'd grown up and closer to my family and so I don't you know I can't really think back on that that change the second time and and having you know any kind of oh uh, doubt that we could go there and, and have a success, successful program, I think it ended up working out great. And so I think the second time created in me at least uh, an idea that maybe that could be a niche and, and that there were qualities in my coaching style and the people that I'd had around me that was good for those those types of situations. So I don't know. I think that ultimately to take on this last one for sure, uh, I'm just, I'm okay with losing. I understand that that's going to be part of the change and part of the transition and part of the culture, uh, cultural dynamic to, to get to success. And so, um, I think that's the quality that sometimes other guys may not have. And and so I'm hoping that I can see something at the end that would be worth the the sort of the grief and the trauma and the loss of of so many hard kind of things that happen before you get to that. What would you say are some of the most important character traits that you would look for in a person or in a in a recruit? Um character traits or personalities? Well, we one the the things that we try to recruit through. So the filter one would be, and I, I don't know if this is a great term, but we talk about selflessness. So we we say, okay, the kind of teammate that you are and that you are going to be is one of the highest priorities for us. So obviously, we're looking. We we want legitimate Division two college athletes there's there's no doubt about that but if there are questions between one guy and another or whatever the case might be so that's one of the filters is okay what kind of a teammate so we ask 
man, we're going to ask assistant coaches, head coaches, if we're recruiting other guys from that school. So that's a term that we would throw out, um, selflessness. And then, you know, I mean, everybody's kind of got their own definition of that. But uh, we're looking for guys who are going to be wonderful teammates, not just great players. So I, I think that's the first. And another quality that we're looking for, quite honestly, is uh, uh, guys who can come in and football is not their uh, identity, so to speak. So, uh, of course, it's going to be, but we're looking for guys who maybe uh, have hobbies that are uh, diverse, who certainly maybe are going to play another sport, uh, but you know, what kind of involvement do they have in different kind of things in in these big high schools in Texas. I mean, there's all kind of opportunities for engagement outside of sports. And so we're we're trying to find guys who can give their all to something, but yet at the same time, if it's not going great or they don't get what they want immediately, they're not devastated. Uh, And and some of that then would be somehow, you know, their identity is not found. So there's this intrinsic confidence and hope that they can continue in regardless of of sort of their circumstances and so that's almost I mean it's almost impossible to discern in a recruiting process but that's something that man we're hoping to be able to bring in Uh, so guys who are great teammates and then this idea that that football is not going to be life or death for them and that there's a way to manage loss and failure uh, to a degree that it doesn't debilitate and and again those those both of those are hard to to find what's your favorite tradition either yours or something you encourage the players to do I think one of the only traditions that we've carried over for these last 20 years is the last practice on our field for the outgoing seniors we form they they form a line and then the team all the team goes through and shakes their hand and is able to say kind of a formal goodbye within the family context of the team and so I think I've had you know more tears from from me that that I've cried during those times than any other whether it's a win or you know, graduation or weddings or whatever. I think those days, for me at least, and I, I, as I've watched and experienced those, I think those have been great days for our team. And that's a great tradition. And, and to be honest with you, it may be one of the only ones that we've kept over all these years at the, the three places we've been. Yeah. As a coach, you started kind of raising other people's kids at a young age. How has coaching informed your parenting? My my coaching and parenting has been so overlapped and embedded in one another. It's startling, I think, as I've reflected on that at times. And so as I, for an example, as I'm working on anger within the context of football, okay, what what really do we accomplish and, you know, how, okay, I'm, I'm always trying to manipulate with anger or whatever, then it's almost in that same realization, I'm convicted about that in parenting. And, and so uh, something might happen where, you know, I've gone through stages where I'm like, I have to spend, or not have to, but I want to spend, uh, you know, individual one-on-one time with my daughters, and at the same time I'm working on that, then it sort of uh, thrusts itself into the coaching context, and and so then I find myself working on that specific quality or whatever that might be in football, and so I've learned a lot in both ways. I have four daughters who are sort of drastically different, uh, obviously the same in some 
significant ways, but, but different. And so each one receives love differently. Each one gives love differently. That's helped me with players in the same way where every player may not be coached the same way or treated, uh, you know, in a in the same fashion all the time. And so I, I've learned so much in both. A lot of times it's been, you know, <laughs> you know what not to do, but it's been a great combination to be working on something in a so-called career that is also beneficial in my marriage or uh, hoping it's beneficial in raising the girls and vice versa. So that's been a, a spectacular part of, you know, the last 20 years that I, I probably wouldn't have known going through it all. But certainly as I've reflected back on it, that's been a great, uh, a great thing that's happened. And it's kind of crazy that you would say that coaching and parenting are so intertwined because I would imagine that spending all afternoon with a hundred sweaty guys who you want to, <laughs> you know, beat each other up. And then when you go home and you have your wife and your four daughters, those will probably be kind of different environments. Mm. No. The, and that's a great point. So the energy levels, I remember even, t even times, I even think a couple nights ago. So all the, the three girls that are at home now were home and my wife. And so I'm, I don't know if I got intense and super excited about something and they, you know, they just roll their eyes and basically wait for that to pass. And, you know, that, that's happened a lot. I mean, um, so, so there were, were times, you know, where the, the energy levels, um, were quite different. And, you know, my wife has told me m multiple times over the years, Hey, I'm not one of your players or, you know, Hannah, who's our oldest is not, is not a player. And so I've really had to I've learned the hard way, you know, many times about that. But you're right. I think the, the this this quality of engagement uh, from a intensity standpoint and an energy standpoint is much different uh, at practice or in a team session than it might be at home. And I've learned I've learned that. Like to your credit, you know, I've seen you interact with your wife and your daughters and like they're all super affectionate toward you and love you a lot and very supportive of you on the field. Um, when you say that Hannah told you that, you know, I'm not one of your players, that does remind me that I remember her a few times uh, having a very short fuse with people who would just call her by her last name, which I would imagine <laughs> is like some PTSD from I'm being sure. around too many locker rooms or whatever. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I, I remember when – so um, – when I was at Sterling, she transferred back, and I don't know if I'd said something to the team about her being back, and then FYI, she doesn't have a boyfriend, and she heard <laughs> that, and it was a nightmare, you know, so I've definitely made mistakes <laughs> in <laughs> in those ways before. You know, they were, they were around a lot, and, uh, you know, I'm at schools where the children can be. I, I coach with my brother for 12 years and, and so his kids and my kids sort of grew up together at practice and at games and on buses, you know. He had, you know, he had uh, a couple sons who hung out, but that, that was a fantastic part too. I, and something I probably should mention is that just being with the girls wherever I could be was was a big part of me being a dad and I don't it probably didn't make up for the times I was gone and, and certainly when I was home and wasn't present but uh, they could come and be with me kind of whenever and uh, that was a definite perk of the job until they got to high school and in that case I didn't really want them hanging out with a bunch of college age football players so we <laughs> we had to revisit that whole thing uh, but up until that point it was a great lifestyle for at the very least, for my girls to be with me and to see me, at, you know, in my career, which was awesome. Did you ever have a player date one of your daughters while they were your player? Not that I can remember. Not, not that, that they that told you about. about. <laughs> not that I can remember or not that I knew about. <laughs> <laughs> I 
have you had a chance yet to check out the uh, Taylor Swift documentary concert on Netflix? You know, the Taylor Swift, I, I really just, I love Taylor Swift. I love her music, but I'm not really going to sit down and watch a documentary on her life. In fact, there's a lot of things I'd rather do than that. So, no, <laughs> I've not watched that. The girls went to a, another Taylor Swift concert in Chicago this summer, so I was not invited to that one. They've been to a couple, and I didn't have an invite. So, But I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed her new album. I will say of all the football coaches I know, I think you have the best grasp of the highs and lows of the Taylor Swift musical catalog. Oh, I don't know if, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. And I'm not trying to uh, toot my own horn, so so to speak, (laughs) but when it comes to Taylor Swift, you'd be hard-pressed to find another college football coach, at least head, who would have my, uh, you know, I think, palette for that kind of music. So now that your daughters are getting older, what advice do you have for young parents? You know, like me, it'll be a few years before my sons are getting like tons of scholarship offers and (laughs) (laughs) well, I think just through different situations, obviously, Uh, as the girls went through high school and then even in the not-so-distant past dealing with adult kind of crises is more significant maybe than a a skinned knee or, you know, not getting what you want when you're seven or eight. And so sometimes the, the stakes are higher, I think, probably most of the time. I've learned a lot about anger over the years and how, you know, using that, whether it's even just irritability or impatience or whatever elements of anger might come out, how to just be less angry and more patient and how you know, manipulation and control through anger is just not healthy. It's just not good for anyone. And it may be effective for the control or the manipulation at times, but to really have stepped back from that, you know, the last decade. And obviously that, that that's happened in my coaching as well. And so just being less angry, I think, over the years and looking back, uh, just um, being more okay with with failure and being more okay with you know behavior that wasn't what maybe we would have wanted or didn't meet our expectations and and I'm not saying just let children or if I was going to go back I would let the girls do whatever they wanted and treat each other or whomever uh how how they want but I think there's an element of just creating uh an environment that's that's safer than than I would have done in the past. And and, um, at the end of the day, I think, though, the most important thing, I heard someone on the radio a couple years ago and and have read several uh, pieces kind of like this, but hanging in the mix relationally. So just having a relationship with uh, our children as they go into adolescence, as they go into these early teen years and and then leave the house and reaching out and being engaged with them and listening and having, you know, a relationship that that matters that they can, um, that they can sort of fall back on. And that's been important. And so, you know, that's the, the critical thing. I mean, the children are going to make mistakes and, and teenagers, my gosh, I, I don't know how we were just on the front end of social media and the internet and smartphones and what whatever uh whatever's going on but you know to keep our children from experiencing dangerous content uh images that are 
um, life altering, uh, you know, the this idea of the the comparison game on Instagram or, or whatever that is, you know, I think it's just it's just chaotic to try to manage all that as a parent. And you know, there's two extremes. We we come down so hard, and and I know I've done that at times where uh, mandate this or mandate that or whatever, and try to control every minute uh and then the other extreme is we don't try to do anything and so you know kids have a you know a smartphone when they're seven years old with access to whatever they want and again those are extreme pictures but uh doing the best that we can in those years when they're home and then just keeping a relationship uh during the those those teen years and as they go to college so i think that's what i've learned over these long years, and I think it's similar to the guys on the team, just to to keep a relationship and keep on trucking and and somehow stay in the mix with them as people and as a parent. I think that's probably the most important thing that I've been able to do, and and that that Betsy and I have done over these last you know ten fifteen years. Well, Coach, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to visit with us, and we'll definitely keep following along with uh, your career and, and see how it goes in the fall. And thanks for the time and sharing your parenting advice as well. So what did you learn today, Dash? I learned from Andy that it's important not to let anger get in the way of our relationships with our family members. And I learned from Andy's story about the Swy brothers raging on each other in public over something that happened in a video game, that it's a lesson not limited to parenting. Yeah, I don't really think he said this, but I was kind of reminded of how important it is to not let work bleed into your life with your family. Uh, It cracked me up, I mean, knowing his children, to hear that they would basically boycott him uh, as a family when he treated his daughters like his players. Being a new independent podcast is tough and that you need to have a certain level of engagement to get more attention from the search engines and apps. If you like what you hear, you could help us tremendously by going to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts and giving us a rating. If you're not sold yet, well, your asking price is way too high. Come down to our level and chill with the plebs. Imperfect Dads was created by Ben Swihart and Christian Dashiel. We also wrote, produced, and edited this episode. Thanks to the Passion Hi-Fi for all the music on this episode. Check out thepassionhifi.com to hear his selection of beats and instrumentals. Thanks for listening. And thanks for mashing that like button. Catch you on the flip. I got a joke for you guys. What? Why did the football coach go to the bank? To go to get um a 25 court. No, what is it called? <laughs> To get a quarterback. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was close. It was something. I thought it was something. 25. What's 25 equals a quarter? Yes. And I said a football coach.